0: Alright, we had uh Dave read for us Psalm one thirty nine. And the the title of my message not original with me, but when I saw it, I said, Man, that's an awesome awesome title. Womb with a view. Because if we look at this passage today in Psalm one thirty nine, uh you can't not see God from the child's being in a mother's womb and and uh I know one of us in this room enjoys and appreciates children, Uh, in fact, somebody was just expressing here this past week, I forget, one of our folks here was the fact that we have children in our church again, and we praise the Lord for that, and, uh, but, well, we're going to show a video here just to kind of be in awe of the mystery and the wonder of childbirth. It's obvious that there's many people today that love and cherish children, but also there's many that don't. And that's why we have the abortion problem, not just in our nation, but worldwide. And after I what the figures are something like over 50, 40 million children have been aborted since we legalized it, not to mention how many were aborted prior to that and other means, but But I believe for the most part, largely today, there is a tremendous love and appreciation for children. I spent a good many years in the volunteer fire service and I observed this, that when there was a child or children involved in an incident, you would sense a higher energy and they would pull all the stops out, whatever it is to meet the needs of that child and to rescue them. Even in our our apparatus of all the equipment we had in these trucks, We have one compartment that's full of teddy bears, that should there be a child, we could give them a teddy bear, something to hug, just to kind of help make them feel comfortable for a little bit until we can get them into a better situation. And so unfortunately, we do, I'm sure you've probably asked the question. How is it that we as a Christian nation have gotten so far away from Cherishing children that we could even encourage and think about allowing children to be aborted and And it's a I'm not going to go into the details of that process, but we know no matter what we do. It's it's, it's an ugly process and uh, Some of our abortions today In fact some nations uh, they can abort right up to nine months I mean, if the child is going to be born tomorrow, they can abort it the day before, and and it's considered legal. Now, our nation doesn't quite go that far, even though there are records of that being taking place here in America, but obviously, there are those that just don't have. Now, how do we get here? There's only one reason that we've gotten here, and that is because the farther we as a people, as a nation, move away from the Word of God, the more we're going to have any sanctity of life and value life in any way. And so we need to go back to the Word of God because that's where life begins. Genesis in the beginning, and as we were shared in the Bible study again this morning, even for us a salvation who experienced a spiritual birth, that was all planned and sealed before God created anything. It was already in his plans. It was already in his head. Who's going to be born? Who's going to be saved? Who's going to be lost? All that was already taken care of. So those of us that have life, we absolutely didn't get a choice. God put us here for a reason. That reason ultimately is this: God doesn't need to be loved, but He wants to be loved. He wants to be known. And so he created us as a very, very special creature. We're going to look at that a little more as we go along this morning. So that we have that capability of knowing him, loving him, and enjoying him. And of course, it begins from conception. The most amazing conception, of course, is that of our Savior. He did not have a human father. Yet within Mary's womb, The Holy Spirit began the growth of a child, a male child who became 100% God, 100% man to bridge the gap between God and man because of our sinful condition. So we need to appreciate life. For me it was a privilege, maybe some guys would not even consider it but I had the privilege of being present when all three of our children were born. I am convinced of this. If more men would watch their wives have children, we'd probably have less children. Because <laughs> they don't call it labor for nothing. Um, except for our, my wife's last pregnancy, the delivery for the first two was extremely difficult. Uh, she had uh, 22 hours labor with the first one. The last eight were very intense. And in fact, so intense that uh, when it actually came time to giving birth, she didn't have enough energy to deliver, Jim. And I felt sorry for it. I was almost willing to quit having kids right then and there. Um, I'm not exaggerating now. My wife is laying on the delivery table. There's a nurse on each side. And they had their fist leaning on her stomach. And one nurse literally had her feet off the floor when she had a contraction trying to help deliver Jim. <laughs> and it wasn't happening. So Doc said, we got to get the forceps out. And so they got that out. But. Uh, In fact, my wife didn't see the baby for probably eight hours because as soon as they were done, she was out. She fell asleep. (laughs) She was gone. She was exhausted. Uh, How can women do this time and time again? And Michael wasn't a whole lot better Uh, or Brianna she did deliver without um, any major complications such as that but delivery is of of a human being is just and that's why I wanted to show you some pictures just to to see that growth we don't see that so we don't appreciate it and and the evolution and if you look at some of those early pictures see we've evolved we look like a a, a salamander you know and we, we evolved from that and there's proof of it there it's not proof of of anything, but David wrote the book of, or the book of Psalms. And he wrote Psalm one thirty nine, and and so let's let's look at David's view of life from the womb. From this, the first uh, several verses here, he acknowledges uh, God's omniscience in the first six verses. Allow me to read those. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path. Am I lying down and are acquainted with all my ways? There is not a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. What's he saying here? God, your, your knowledge is so vast. I can't even come to begin to grasp your knowledge. And when I think of, of a, the growth, I mean, two seeds come together. And out of that, Eventually an adult develops, you know, we'll look at that more, but Have you ever stopped to think how did God put all this together? How does a how do two little seeds come together and how do those cells when they begin to divide how do they know which one's gonna become the liver Which one's gonna become the eye which one's gonna become hair which one's gonna become skin. How does it know that? There's only one explanation an Almighty God To me, it's just absolutely phenomenal what God has created, not just with the human being, but if we had nothing else to look at. It would be awesome. But look at the rest of the planet, not to mention what's beyond our own atmosphere. Then it's on the presence. Verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. There. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall behold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light upon me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness as the light are both alike to you. I'm sure you've had situations that have been very troublesome and you wonder where is God in all this? Notice what he says, especially that last verse, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. He is there even in our darkest moments. He's there when the light is shining. He is there. There's no way we can be outside of the presence of God. It's an impossibility. and We need to keep that in mind. And now, his omnipotence, as we read in these verses. Let's begin with verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. The word you. God has created each one of us to be unique. Now we know, we we joke about this sometimes that when God made us, he broke the mold. And it's true. Now, I, I don't understand, and I don't even know how God's allowed man to be able to see that microscopic DNA stuff. But everybody has their own DNA and it's so distinct that they use it in courts of law. If you're there and your DNA is there, you are there and there's only one of you. That's that mold that God made and never allowed it to be repeated. How many people do you suppose have been born from Adam until now? There's seven billion on the planet now. How many? I wouldn't be a bit surprised before the flood, there was a another 7 billion because they lived a long time. In fact, I have wondered how many children did women have in those days? You know, woman lives to be 70, 80 now. She might, she could potentially, years ago, she had 10, 12, 15 kids. It wasn't uncommon. What if you lived to be 800? <laughs> <laughs> how, many, how many children are you going to have, you know? And, and they're all living. In fact, uh, I shared this with a gentleman yesterday. Noah and Adam overlapped 60 years. So there's only two generations of men in that 1600 years from Adam to Noah. A lot of people could have been born. And then from Noah on up to Christ and, and now we have 7 billion people on the planet and no two like have ever been alike from Adam until now. Amazing, isn't it? But God has done that. There's no evolution. There's no, not even the remotest science to prove anything about evolution whatsoever. Evolution is there for one reason and one reason only, to get God out of the way. And as a result of that, that's why we see life taken so carelessly, especially among the children. And I didn't have my notes here, but I this thought it does come to mind. I believe God has a very, very special place in his heart for children. And those who abuse them and treat them poorly, I believe God, if they don't get saved, then God's grace is sufficient to save an individual from that. I believe God's got a special place for them in hell. Cuz the Bible says it's better that a millstone were hung about their neck and drowned. But there's no evolution. Again, I want you to think about the first one. Adam and Eve were the only ones on the planet they were never born. But notice how God put them together. First of all, he took dirt everything else he created he just spoke it into being but with man for us he took dirt and when you die you go back to dirt and not very much at that (laughs) if you've ever seen the ashes from someone who's been cremated literally you can stick it in a one quart jug (laughs) that's all that really exists of us when you remove all the moisture from us I think it's amazing that God has been able to take dirt and put us together like that. But He did. And when He took that dirt, He shaped it with His own hands. Now, you've probably seen on television some of these guys who do this sand art. There's some amazing sand art that people do out there, but nobody ever breathed into it and made it come to life. Okay, God took dirt, he formed us and shaped us by his own means, and then it says he breathed into a Adam and Eve that, or Adam, the breath of life. And, and that, that thing that he had created on the ground came to life. I believe that's where we got our soul from, is when he breathed in that breath of life, because we're the only creature that has one. And then in all this, he created us in his own image and likeness. Now, we know it's not physically, because he's a a spirit. No man has seen God at any time. And yet, there's a lot of God's characteristic in us. We think, we reason, we're God-conscious, except for angels, the only other creature that is God-conscious. There's no other creature on the face of the earth that's conscious of God, except for us that's all part of that image man wants to constantly deny that God exists but they can't do it so from two people we now have millions and billions and billions of people on the face of the planet then he says in verse 13 you formed my inward parts conception is amazing but he formed our inward parts and I thought about David you know they didn't have the technology we do today with medicine we can take pictures inside of us and I, I had, did surgery on my knee years ago and they took pictures of the inside of my knee they gave them to me I don't know what I was supposed to do them I didn't frame them or anything but you know <laughs> they took pictures and then when they when you do surgery often they'll take pictures of what's going on in there and, and David didn't have that Although David did have something, uh, it, it'd be a bit gross, but I think he had some idea what the anatomy was like. Because what was David? He was a soldier. And how did they fight? And what did they fight with? Swords? Blades? I'm sure he saw his share of, of internal parts of a human being. And again, I can't imagine what that would be like. But David had to be scratched and said, how does this all work? <laughs> You ever stop and think about that food that we eat? What does the body do with it? Now, we eat because we're hungry. But but how many of us think, I eat to kind of of stay alive? Now, there are people on this planet that they eat to stay alive because they're not getting enough food. We eat just for the pleasure of it. But you ever stop and think what your body does with it once it gets it? As soon as you stick in your mouth, your body is beginning to digest it. Your teeth are there not just because you've got to have a dental bill. It's there to chew it and, and, uh, and uh, get it so the body can take it. And then it takes it down. And what does the stomach do with it? It breaks it down. And, and You ever stop and think about all that whole process that God has put into us? And we, we all appreciate our internal organs, I hope. I know uh, Mike appreciates it a lot more than maybe most of us here because he's missing one or two. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have his kidneys. For some unknown reason, God designed his body to reject them, and anything else they put in there. So he has to go with dialysis. So he has an appreciation of what that internal organ does. But how many of us think about when we say, well, I wonder how this uh, T-bone stick's is going to go through my liver, my kidney. and We don't think about that. Our body doesn't actually. in then that heart. It never, in fact, it does rest a split second between beats. That's the only rest it gets because if it takes a permanent rest, yeah, we know what happens, don't we? And then the brain. You know, what an amazing thing that God has given us. And I know some of us wish we had better brains and some people have, we we think that people have better brains and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but think about our bodies and how amazing they are David understood that you formed my inward parts you covered me in my mother's womb in his mother's womb we're not born outside in fact there's there's a few unique creatures out there I think the seahorse is one of them where the male gives birth (laughs) to the seahorses I don't understand why God did that well sometimes I think I do you know, you look at the platypus and some of these other things. Why in the world, God, did you make a male with a duck that lays an egg? Because I knew there were evolutions coming. I wanted to mess with their minds. I think God's up there laughing at them, you know. I'm just gonna, I know what they're going to think. I'm going to mess them up. God has a sense of humor, no question about it. But our mother's womb. Then the word covered. It means knit me together. The development of each and every part enables our body to function as it does. And we all know we've had parts that don't function well, and it doesn't take much, it's just a little thing. In fact, uh, remember uh, Jean with her gallbladder, that thing wasn't very big, but did you get sick? Oh yeah, for a long time, in fact uh, April, I think, had the same problem. Some of you admit, they ain't, they're not very big, but boy, when that messes up, it messes up the whole body. Everything is knit together to function well. Our DNA is just amazing stuff. And that's where the body begins to develop and figure out what it's going to do. And in the Hebrew, this word cover, it does also have the idea of protection. In fact, I know we kind of baby a mother when she's pregnant because she's pregnant, we don't want to harm the baby. But do you realize when she's in the womb, that child is probably the safest place that's ever gonna be? That, that, That mother's womb could take a pretty nasty blow without hurting the baby. Again, being in the fire service, I've seen that. Pregnant women in accidents, and and everybody's hurt, and she may be damaged, but that baby is doing just fine because it's just bouncing around in some water. (laughs) They got the first airbag, only it was a water bag, you know. It just provides great protection. They're very, very safe there. But then David burst into a big-time praise in verse 14. I will praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David sees it. He's in awe of it. That's what this word fearful me. I am in awe of God, what you have done. And how many children did David have? I don't even know he had 12 wives. I don't know how many children he had. Solomon, well, we know he had a thousand wives. I don't know that all of his wives had children, but we know he had a whole bunch of children. So, and they, in those days, they had a deep appreciation for children. I'm sure David, in fact we do know, even though Absalom was a very rebellious son, David coddled that boy. He had a deep appreciation for children even when they were disobedient as adults. But wonderful, it means distinct, separate, one of a kind. So even David knew there's no two human beings alike. Even identical twins are not identical twins. There's a distinction among them and he uses the word I, it's very personal to them. In fact, how many of us, I don't want anybody to raise their hands or anything, but how many of us have ever been dissatisfied with the personality we have? I wish I was more outgoing, some of us are introverts, some are extroverts, and, and some are in between, but you ever been dissatisfied in some way with the personality you had or have? Or even perhaps your looks, the world's constantly battling that. You deserve a break today. You know, use our hair color, color our hair, use our clothes and make it look better. We can make you look good. But does God make any junk? We never have to apologize for our personality. We never have to be ashamed of our personality or our looks. We need to accept ourselves, this is the way God made me. The only thing we need to be ashamed of is our sin. Now, our sin can affect our personality, obviously. But never. And I, I come to grips with that years ago. I, I, you know, I'm not the tallest person in the world. and I always wanted to be taller and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I, I come to grips with this from this passage. God made me what I am. I'm not supposed to be taller than 5'8", even though I want to be 6'2". It's not going to be there. I wish I had a better functioning brain. But I don't have it. And I had to come to grips with this is the way God made me. And for me to tell God, in fact, Matthew even mentions that can we add to our stature? Can we add to our hair? Can we do Do no know how many hair? God knows how many heart hair I had and how I'm going to have. I mean, today, He knows when they all fall out. He's keeping track. But I don't have to be ashamed of that. The only thing I have to be ashamed of is my sin and deal with that. And that is the major problem with us as his creation today. In fact, have you ever stopped to think, I wish I was smarter, taller, stronger, more talented? In regard to intelligence, there's some that are just, to me they're mind-boggling in their intelligence. In fact, uh, I'm getting to know some people at NASA and they're just oozing with with knowledge, it just—in fact, I was warned when I went there. These are going to be probably the most intelligent people you ever meet on the face of the earth, but they don't have a whole lot of common sense. <laughs> you ever been there? My son's kind of that way. He's a geek. He's a computer whiz, and and he's getting better, really. But just not a whole lot of common sense. But you know, I look at these individuals who have all this intelligence and, and and some of them even children just are oozing with it they we, we call them knowledge prodigies where they just are oozing with all this knowledge you wonder where it comes from but as I was thinking about this again I wish I could remember things better memorize better uh, put things together better but God didn't give me that brain capacity but if I would take the smartest person on the face of the earth, whoever that may be, and compare it to what I have, or even someone who may be lesser, because there are those who do have lesser uh, brain capacity due to sometimes just, they're born that way, um, diminished in some way. But when I compare that to God, how much distance is there really between the most intelligent and the least intelligent? Not much. So why do we make that distinction? We make that distinction, God doesn't. And so we never have to be apologetic for what we may see as a limitation when it's not. And so we say, well, Pastor, I know individuals that are born with a mental deficiency. In fact, I wish I had the video. If I could have found it today, I would have um, showed you uh, at least a picture of this guy. He's an evangelist. He was born with no limbs. He has one little short foot. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He has one little short foot at at the end of his torso. But you know, he's got an awesome perspective on who God is. And he preaches the Word. He's a born-again Christian, and you know, he doesn't blame God for that. And how long is he going to be that way? till he dies. And then he'll get all those appendages that he doesn't have now. But he knows that in some un- for some unknown reason, God allowed me to be born this way, and I'm going to glorify him through it. Now, I haven't followed his ministry a great deal. But if you had someone sitting up on a platform that had no appendages, that was just oozing God and praising God. Do you think you'd sit and listen to Him? More than maybe someone who's got all their faculties? (laughs) I think so. God uses a variety of things to get people's attention. And if that was the reason that God did that to get people's attention so they would come to know Christ, He said, I'm okay with that. Some of you ladies may have lost a child at birth and Again, I can't imagine because even though you've not seen the child, you're already intimately connected to the child because you've been carrying it for nine months. And then you have a stillborn. I can't imagine what that'd be like. My mom lost one that was I was young enough that I didn't realize how far she into the pregnancy. I do know this, that the pregnancy went far enough along that I knew it was a boy. Which doesn't take a whole lot really if... Uh, again, I don't know all the details of it, but they they realized that they had a son. And in fact, there was no funeral or for it. It wasn't until my dad was studying this passage, I think he was even teaching it, that he come to realize, wow, honey, we had a son that we never gave a name to. <laughs> we got a son in glory already. And so they gave him a name. And uh, so I got a brother named David in glory that I'm gonna meet one day. Because when does that life begin? At conception. We too have another child in glory. Brenda had a miscarriage. Some of you ladies may have had a miscarriage. That life began at conception, and you will have a child in heaven that you haven't met yet. That's how God sees it. Life does not begin when you come out of the birth canal. It begins when the two seed come together. David understood that. And so he bursts out into praise in all this. He sees God's personal attention to his own conception and his growth. Look at verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. In other words... They didn't have the capacity we do today to see that growth of a child in the womb. We do it by way of well, you saw what we had here and the, the ultrasounds and all the stuff that we have today. We can we can see it going from day to day. And, and like I said, with three children. I, I'm still amazed and and, and uh Uh, It was always neat. In fact, I always enjoyed it. When they started moving around, we could feel them. In fact, I had a picture somewhere I was doing this research. I couldn't find it because I wanted to show it to you. Mother's belly was exposed, but you could see the baby's foot up against the belly, and you could see the outline of the foot. Oh <laughs> it was out there. there. Oh, good, good. You saw it then. Um, that, to me, that was just amazing, you know, uh, to, to see that going on in the womb. That, that's, there's just amazing stuff going on in there. It was hidden from me, but my frame it, it was being, it was growing, and uh, it was all made in secret, but skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. In other words, inside a mother's womb, things are happening that are just absolutely amazing. It's a skillfully wrought. You know what word we get from that? Embroider. (laughs) Our word embroider comes from this word skillfully wrought. And if you ladies don't know embroidery, you know that's detailed stuff. He made it according to that. We are unique. We're intricate, we're complex due to our DNA. Just amazing stuff. So both from the medical side and the biblical side, it's obvious that life is sacred and the most unique with divine specialness. You should see yourself as a very unique individual in the eyes of God because you are. And there's many people, because we know that suicide is on the rise today. And yes, there are Christians that even commit suicide. And I talked to a gentleman this week who thought that was an immortal sin that God did not, does not grant salvation for those who commit suicide. But when I, let me ask you this question, the same thing I asked him. When Christ died on the cross for our sins, which ones did he die for? All of them, including suicide. But how do we get there? We're thinking about ourselves and not about God and what He wants to accomplish through us. Has that thought crossed our minds at times in the past? Perhaps. David even said he despaired, or not David, Paul said he despaired of life. Life gets hard. And I don't believe there's a thing wrong with his longing to go to glory. But we gotta be patient and wait to get there when it's his time. Because we'll look at a verse here in Hebrews. There's a point of time. In fact, it's right now Hebrews nine twenty-seven. Let's turn there. Keep your finger in Hebrew or Psalms, because we're gonna come back there. But Hebrews nine twenty-seven. And it is appointed for men to die once, after this, the judgment. And in fact, Pat and I were talking about that this morning. We're ready to go home, aren't you? But we gotta wait until he says, it's time. And there is a time. And we may have to endure some difficult life for a while Quite frankly, you and I don't know what difficult is. We got brothers and sisters, they're being persecuted for their faith. They know what difficult times are. Their pastors are being killed before their very eyes. Some pastors are watching their whole congregation shot down, their buildings burned, because of their faith in Christ. We don't know what it is. We're spoiled rotten. Times are hard, there's a time coming when God knows your, your job is done here, come on home. But we got to wait for that. So our view of life from the womb, we need to look at life through God's eyes. We may not understand, we don't have to understand, I remind you of Job, Job had some difficult times in his life. And Job questioned, and God didn't condemn him for questioning. And in Job's particular case, he said, I'm not even going to give you the answer. I'm sovereign, just trust me. And so when these little lies come into our, our possession, in fact, I, I, I didn't think about this until this morning, I was looking at this. The children God grants us, parents, they don't belong to us. They belong to Him. And God has placed them in our care to nurture them and to raise them, but ultimately they belong to Him and He can do with them as He sees fit. And we may not always like what He does. And we might get concerned, as you know, our youngest grandson was in the hospital a day or two this week because of the flu that hit him as a three-month-old, dehydrated real quick, And we don't want to see that child die. But what if the worst happened and that child died? God was still involved. And even though he's three months old compared to maybe 100 years old, what's that compared to eternity? It's nothing. But we must be careful how we view those life spans that God gives us. But also, I want us to be careful how we view those who encourage abortion. What's our responsibility as a Christian? We may know parents, we may know friends, we may have even had one ourselves. But understand this, God still loves you. Satan is our enemy and he loves to kill. John 8.44 says he's a murderer and I believe if he had his way he'd kill every Christian. <laughs> but we mean we need to love them and not look down on them because they did made such a horrible decision. Yes it is sin but we must still reflect Christ to them. Actually abortions are dropping somewhat there is becoming a growing change in regard to that. I don't think it's dramatic change but it is is improving some. I think too there's been enough effort by Christians that we're beginning to make a little bit of an impact and things don't change overnight. But we must be sensitive to those. Why would individuals want to do that? I think there's a lot of reasons and probably everyone has a different reason. But some just have this idea and I can understand it do I really want to bring another child into this miserable world and yet we look at it this way folks when God grants us a child and uh, I think it was my sons in their church in Indiana this woman was 47 years old when she got pregnant it wasn't planned <laughs> but she got pregnant with twins their whole family had already left home and now as grandparents, they're starting over parenting again. They had to struggle with that for a while. I don't want to raise any more kids. I want, to, I want to spoil my grandkids and now they're going to be parents. But they come to grips and God has a plan in this too. And twins, that'll be a challenge, wouldn't it? But then there's some that they don't want the pregnancy. So abortion is an easy way out. And then there's some, I think, they're scared to death to be a parent. I'm not qualified. I'm gonna mess up this child and so I'm gonna eliminate this. Lots and lots of reasons why. But we need to be sensitive to those who've done them. Women often, very, very often who have abortions end up with emotional concerns about it. And for that reason, the Lord has blessed us with a gal at the pregnancy center. Her name is Melissa. She's a born-again believer. She has uh, four kids of her own right now. But before she had these four, she had her own abortions. And so we now have someone in the center that if somebody comes to aborted mind or has had an abortion and is struggling with it, Melissa can minister to them. And she, this ministry has just begun in the last year. It's beginning to grow. She's getting more and more contacts. In fact, she had a two-week uh, missions trip to Romania, where Romania, 75% of all babies are aborted in Romania. And so she was over there ministering to the ladies in regard to that. And she's getting some awesome feedback from that still. So we have our pregnancy center here, and we're blessed to have it. We get, in fact, uh, just I'm new on the board there, so I don't know the history real well. But um, in the last eight years, the pregnancy center, the ministry has has exploded. They get calls every day from people, ladies, who are struggling with, "What do I do with this pregnancy?" Of course, they think they think we can abort, and we don't do that, uh, obviously. But uh, our our goal is to encourage them not to abort. But let God come in and and bless your life for this little one that you have. And so they they try to discourage the abortion. Uh, Let them know that God will enable you to raise this child in a Godly way. And they have all kinds of resources to help them do that. They encourage them to find a local church. They encourage them to come to know Christ as our Savior. In fact, we have one that we've been dealing with from the day of her pregnancy. Um, she's in there every week, sometimes two, three, four hours visiting with Mia. As you know, Mia comes here. She's the one that is our counseling director. And uh, just challenging her to deal with this pregnancy that she really doesn't want. And she's not gonna abort, uh, but she's not sure whether she's gonna put the baby up for adoption or to raise it herself. And so you pray for me as she uh, worked with these gals. They're they're challenging uh, situations. God's view of life in the womb. Look at verse 17, amazing here, isn't it? How precious also are our thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. God's thinking about me. Anybody doubting that? I don't doubt that he's thinking about me. But notice how David describes it here. How great is the sum of them? If I could count them, if I could count the number of thoughts that you have on me, look what he says. They would be more than the number of the sand. Ever been on a beach? That's one beach. Take every beach on the face of the earth, every grain of sand on the face of the earth. How often is God thinking of me? I think you would agree it's 24/7. Is that awesome or what? Now let me ask a question that I ask myself in regard to that: Am I thinking of God 24/7? I'm not, are you? Should I? Yes, I should. This almighty God, the creator of the universe, created me so that he can do nothing but think about me. Now, who do I think about most of the time? I think about me most of the time. <laughs> That's thinking about God. But when I was conceived in my mother's womb, from that moment on to this present moment, I have been on God's mind 24-7. Even on my worst day, God still loves me. God's still thinking of me. His thoughts of me as are the sand of the sea. When I awake, I am still with you. In other words, God, you never sleep. Now, I, I got to admit, when I go to bed, at night, I, I, to the best of my ability, when I go to bed at night, the last person I want on my mind is God. And so I've gotten in a habit in the last couple of years that when I go to bed, I, I try to think of one of his Attributes. And how that applies to me, and I thank him for that. And I know some of you folks in the church are doing the same thing because I gave you the same list that I use. So when I go to bed at night, I want him on my mind. But i got to admit, when I go to sleep, unless I have a dream during the night, I'm not thinking of anything else till morning. But you know, God never sleeps. Have you ever made plans to go somewhere? And you're so excited you can't sleep. You're just laying there in bed thinking about all the fun you're gonna have. Probably more as a kid than as an adult, maybe. But you remember those days when you're going on a vacation, you're gonna go somewhere and you just can't sleep, you're all excited about what's gonna happen, and you already got all these things that you're running through your mind, what's gonna be exciting? I believe that's how God sees me. Yeah, I, I remember as a kid wanted to go see uh, my grandmother, and I gotta say my dad's grandmother, because my mom's grandmother, different story. We won't, <laughs> we won't go there. But when dad said, we're going to grandma's house, I'd have to ask which one. But most of the time it was his mom, because the other grandma didn't want us around. So we didn't go there very often. But all of us are excited. We're going to grandma's house, we're going to grandma's house, because grandma was going to spoil us rotten. You know, the peanut butter cookies are coming out, you know, and the games are coming out, and, and we're going to have a great time at grandma's house. That's all we can think about was grandma. I think that's what he got. John, i thinking, I can't wait till you wake up tomorrow because we're going we're to work together. We're going to do some things together. I'm going to love you. You're going to love me. I know your love's not the best for me, but I love you anyways. Do we get it? God is just excited about thinking about us. That he never stops. I don't know if I can emphasize it anymore, but I don't know about you, that blows my mind. The creator of the universe never gets tired of thinking about this puny little guy right here. Same thing with you. And I wish I could say I was thinking of him the same way. Let's look at Psalm 121, 3 and 4. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He keeps you who will not slumber. Behold, he keeps Israel and shall never slumber nor sleep. We never have to worry about God falling asleep on us. I got to admit, there's times when I'm praying at night and I fell asleep while I was talking to him. Now, Mike, if we had a conversation and I fell asleep in the middle of the conversation, would you be put out? (laughs) Yeah, I think the same thing with God. God, I'm sorry, I fell asleep in the middle of our conversation. And then I think of that verse, I know the flesh is weak. <laughs> you know, He understands. But now he says, test me, tell me, help me. Search my heart, he says here. In, in the end of chapter, verse 23 of Psalm 138, search my heart, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Paul understands that my mind's not on him 24 seven. I need help here. So he says, test me, tell me, he says. Try me. Know my anxieties. See if there be any way. Lead me. I need help, God. First Corinthians 5.17 wasn't written yet, but all things become new. We need to transform the way our brains think. Romans 12, 1 and 2 God views every child in the womb as a very distinct individual and they're never out of his thoughts from the day conception takes place. Angels, they're a great being. We're going to study them here in a little bit on Sunday night. So I encourage you to come out Sunday night and study with us. We're studying the Holy Spirit now and when we're done, we're going to study angels. But you know, angels don't give birth. As great as they are, God made a bunch of them and that was it. There's no more. And angels look at us as mankind and say, wow, there's something there that we don't have. They're awed by our salvation. They're awed by the salvation that was provided by Christ. They can't grasp it. They, but they rejoice every time one of us gets saved. They're not even created in the image and likeness of God. Only we are. And they have, so, since we're created His image and His likeness, we have no right to stop what's in the womb. Life is very precious. And even though we live in a sin-cursed world, we must still love those who do not take life seriously. Pray for them. Deep down in, they're probably hurting and they need to know the love of Christ. In fact, with Melissa, I believe the one thing that helped bring her to Christ was the fact that she did this abortion and figured God must hate me for this. And someone loved her enough to show her God doesn't hate you. He loves you. He died for you she come to know the Lord let us be wowed let us be awed by the awesomeness of God I don't know where I got this quote from but I wrote it down here no one is a nobody because everyone is a somebody that's how God sees us he knows who we are. He made us. And if you see yourself as a piece of junk, it's a lie that Satan wants you to believe. Now, if we've allowed our lives to get polluted with sin, now we might have a problem there, but that, that's fixable. There's no sin on the face of the earth that can't be fixed by the shed blood of Christ. And so when we have the privilege of having a young one come into our lives, whether it be as a parent or as a grandparent, our number one goal, in fact, you know what number, God's number one goal for Israel is with our children? Malachi 2.5, I believe, says it. Raise those children to be godly. I thank God in spite of me. God's allowed me to raise three great children. And right now I'm enjoying the privilege of watching four or five grandchildren. Being raised to love the Lord. And that thrills my heart. Because I know the history of our family. My grandfather's long history as a Stitzel was drunks. And prior to my, in fact, I don't know much about it except that my grandfather said as far back as he knows and you can think of, the Stitzels were nothing but Drunks. my grandfather one of nine boys put his faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and he determined he was going to be a godly father now as a result of my grandfather has gone now my dad's gone now but now with uh, Christmas or just before Christmas I think the 70th Stitzel not really a Stitzel what's their last name I don't know cousin anyways um, but came from the Stitzel tribe 70, my my mom's got about 32 grandchildren, great grandchildren total now I think Um, but of all that Stitzel history from my grandfather till now there's only two that don't know Christ and they married in we're still praying for them and I don't know we've we've tried to witness to him once he came without cramming it down our throat, but that's what God can do. He can transform and stop the legacies that are not good and start all over. And that's what he's in the business doing. But if they didn't love children and didn't want to raise those children to be godly, who knows what would have happened. That same cycle would have continued. So we need to be praying for our parents. That's why here, every year, we offer parenting classes to the community. In fact, as we begin another year, let me encourage you, please begin praying now that we will have families that will come in here that we could teach them how to be godly parents because being a parent, you know, you raised your own children. It wasn't easy. But I believe if I didn't use this book in raising my kids, it would have been a lot harder. But because we used this book God intervened and now we enjoy our children immensely because we have a common bond in Christ and I thank God for the children he's given us they've been healthy children um, and if he gave us some that weren't so healthy we have to thank him for that too God makes no mistakes let's continue to pray and see what God does through this ministry of Galilee Baptist Church and reaching our community because they need help and we've got the answers because we've got the book we got the God of the book. Father we thank you for life. It is difficult only because of the sin curse. We thank you for the parents that love you enough and love their children enough to bring them here where they can get fed the Word of God. I pray that we as a church will be extremely effective in helping our parents raise their children to be godly. Help our parents want to love you enough to think of you 24-7 so that will spill over from the parent into the child. Life is always going to have its challenges, but we need our children to know that those challenges can be met through the shed blood of Christ. So, Father, we just thank you so very much for the awesome God that you are and for the miracle of conception, the miracle of birth, the miracle of growth, the miracle of your love for us in spite of us. We thank you so very much for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.